Good morning again. It is indeed a, a joy to be together. If you are visiting with us, we're particularly glad that you are here. Uh, we, please uh, take the opportunity to introduce yourself to one of us. If you've uh, uh, been here more than a couple weeks, please take the initiative to introduce yourself to someone perhaps you don't know yet. And uh, again, we do this just to strengthen the ties that bind us together, uh, particularly in these days. There is a black pad in your pew there. If you could take that and sign that, that lets us know who is in worship this morning. We are in the middle of a series looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 8 this morning. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 1010. We'll be reading the first 21 verses. Listen again to God's word to us. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven, they answered. He said to them, do you still not understand? This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In verse 15 of our text, Jesus says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Our job this morning is to pay careful attention to this warning of Jesus. What is this yeast of the Pharisees and yeast of Herod? Jesus was concerned about his disciples, and Jesus is concerned about his disciples this morning. What is it that he is warning us about? I 
love this text. In my mind, it strikes me as quite funny, uh, but also convicting. First, let's keep track of sort of Jesus in his travels. Uh, in Mark chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is traveling quite a bit around modern-day northern Israel and southern Lebanon. He has been based around the Sea of Galilee, but in chapter 7, he takes his disciples and leaves that area to travel to Tyre, an ancient city on the Mediterranean coast in southern Lebanon. And he travels from there, goes further northern up the coast to Sidon on his way to the capital, a long way around, to get back to the Sea of Galilee, to the region called Decapolis, the ten cities on the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we find him here at the beginning of chapter 8, on the southeast side of the sea in a region that was largely Gentile, where he had previously healed the demon-possessed man who had called himself Legion. And Jesus has been hanging out with this crowd of people for three days now. Can you imagine? At the end of the day of Jesus' teaching and healing, he finally says, I have to get some rest, right? And the crowd says, okay. But instead of going home, they stay. They sleep there in the wilderness and wake up the next morning to hear more from Jesus. And the same thing happens the next night. So that on the third day, they run out of whatever food they might have had with them. And we're told that Jesus is moved in his gut with compassion and says to his disciples, I have compassion for these people. I can't send them home with nothing to eat. And then in verse 4, there is a hint of the disciples' exasperation with Jesus. It makes us wonder if the disciples were not continually being frustrated with Jesus. Frustrated that he always said yes. Frustrated that he didn't have a proper set of boundaries. I wonder if they were resentful that these people who wouldn't, that these people wouldn't leave us and Jesus alone. And particularly frustrated because these were most likely largely Gentiles taking up their time. When Jesus says that they will collapse on their way home if they don't feed them, one can imagine the disciples muttering, they wouldn't be collapsing, you would send them home the first night, right? The disciples' response in verse 4 lacks any tone of respect. There's no addressing Jesus as rabbi or Lord. It's more like, yeah, we're in the desert, Jesus where we can't get enough food to feed any of these people. If you were just joining us in our study of the Gospel of Mark, or if you were as forgetful as Jesus' disciples, <laughs> you may not realize that this story is remarkably similar to a story that happened back in chapter 6, when Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and feeds, at that time, over 5,000 people. Like in that story, Jesus asked, what resources do we have? And they, their reply is terse. One word, seven. <laughs> it's almost like they don't even want to be engaged with this. Here they have seven loaves for 4,000 people. And Jesus takes what little they have, gives thanks for it, breaks it, gives it to his disciples to feed the people. And they did, and they end up with more than enough, with seven basketfuls of leftovers. And after feeding them, Jesus sends the crowd away, gets in the boat, and crosses the Sea of Galilee back to the western side, the Jewish side. And immediately, as he gets across the other side, we're told that he's confronted by some Pharisees who question him and then demand from him a sign. And the text in verse 11 says that they 
tested him. And the word to test is the same word as to tempt. They tempted him. Give us a sign from heaven, Jesus. This is important. As we think about our job this morning, thinking about what is this yeast, this interaction is a key to our understanding of what is the yeast of the Pharisees. How does Jesus respond? He lets out a deep sigh, we're told. He did the same thing in our text last week when he was asked to heal the man who was deaf and mute. That time he sighed deeply and healed the man. Here he sighs deeply again, not out of compassion, but out of frustration. You want a sign? If I'm Jesus, <laughs> I said, I just fed 4,000 people. I've fed 5,000 people before. I've healed the deaf, the blind, the mute. I've walked on water. I even raised a little girl from the dead. And now you want a sign? But Jesus doesn't say that. <laughs> if I were Jesus, I think I might have said, you want a sign? How about this sign? <laughs> Lightning bolt, bam, right? <laughs> Instead, he sighs and says, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he gets back in the boat again. <laughs> Poor Jesus, right? Because he gets back in the boat and it is here after this interaction with the Pharisees that he says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And poor Jesus, because he's stuck in the boat with these disciples, right? Because the disciples are stuck in a conversation of their own about who was supposed to bring the bread. You were supposed to, didn't you get it? You were supposed, I thought you were going to get it. No, I, how much, we've got one loaf of bread for the 13 of us? How are we going to do this, right? And so when Jesus says, beware of the yeast, they're thinking, yeah, sorry, Jesus, we forgot the bread. I mean, I Peter, I thought he, you know, and they're in this whole conversation about how are we going to have dinner tonight with only one loaf of bread? And you can imagine Jesus like, again, where's that lightning bolt? Like, bam! Someday, I would love to hear the disciples retell the story, right? (laughs) Text doesn't tell us this, but it seems like here there would also be a heavy sigh from Jesus. The disciples are so clueless, right? Right? The disciples are so clueless. Jesus lays into them. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And then Jesus does a little kingdom mathematics here, right, with the disciples. Right? Remember when I fed the 5,000? We had how many loaves? We had five loaves for 5,000 people. And doing the math in your head, that's one loaf for every thousand people, all right? And we had how many baskets left? Twelve baskets, all right? We had 4,000. How many loaves? Seven. If you do the math, that's 571 people per loaf of bread. We had how much left over? Only seven that time, right? The less you have, the more you end up having left over. The lesson here is not in the numbers. The lesson is that it's not how much you have that matters, but who you are with that matters. It doesn't matter what, how many resources you have, it matters who you are with. And when you're with Jesus, you don't have to worry about the bread. The question is not where, 
they ask, where in the remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? The question is not where, but who? Who can feed them? The disciples have Jesus in the boat, and they're worried about dinner? Again, this feels funny to me, right? But we laugh because we know that we are exactly the same way, that we too are prone to forget. We too worry about these little things when we know the Lord who's taking care of all of our needs. All of this, I think, helps us to answer our main question this morning. What is the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod that we need to be careful about? Let's remember who the Pharisees were. They were lay people, very serious about the Jewish religion. They believed in the authority of what we call the Old Testament, that it was God's word. They believed in the supernatural. They believed in miracles. They believed that God still acts in the world today. And when they asked for a sign, they believed that God gives signs. But the Pharisees tested Jesus. They tempted him, saying, give us a sign from heaven. And this reminds us of when Jesus was tested, tempted by Satan in the wilderness. One of those temptations was to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger in the wilderness. And Jesus, in some sense, has just done this, right? Multiplying bread to feed not himself, but the crowds in the desert. Another temptation was for him to give a sign, to put himself up on the pinnacle of the temple and to cast himself down and let the angels pick him up as a sign to prove to everyone who he was as the son of God. And that's what the Pharisees are asking for now. Give us a sign so we have to believe who you are. The Pharisees are demanding a sign, ignoring all the miracles and signs Jesus has already done. This is the yeast of the Pharisees. And Jesus is worried for his disciples because he sees the yeast of the Pharisees in them. The disciples have seen Jesus feed 5,000 with five loaves. They see 4,000 in the desert with nothing to eat, and they don't believe it is possible to feed so many people, ignoring the miracle Jesus had done two chapters earlier. And then they get in the boat, and what do they do? They worry again about not having enough bread. It is the yeast of unbelief, and all it takes is a little bit, and it infects the whole loaf. The yeast of Herod is similar. This is surprising, right? Because Herod and the Pharisees had so little in common. The Pharisees were all about morality and trying to be obedient to God and the law and every little detail of life. Herod, on the other hand, had no law, was immoral. No law that governed his life other than the law of power and amassing as much power as possible so that he could do whatever he liked, so that he could be secure. Herod did not believe in miracles. He believed in power, political power, economic power, military power. And he was happy to use religion to gain power. It is the yeast of wanting to use power to insulate ourselves from faith, to use power so that we always have enough bread, so that we are always secure, and so that we are always in control. This is the yeast of Herod. The Pharisees did not want faith either. They wanted proof. Beloved, is Jesus 
worried about us? What yeast is he worried about in us? It is indeed the yeast of unbelief that we would forget all that he has done for us. That we would see what he has done for us but not understand. It is the yeast of power that we will resort to Herod's tactics to guarantee our own success, our own security. It is the yeast of power that we will yearn for a sign that as a guarantee that God is with us. It is the yeast that turns to disbelief as soon as hardship comes. God is against us. God does not care. God has forgotten. It is the yeast of Herod who only sees seven loaves and 4,000 people and fails to see Jesus who's able to feed his people in the wilderness. Jesus is worried for us, his disciples, because we are prone to live our lives as if the material were all that matters. It is the yeast of the Pharisees who refuse to commit to Jesus because they need one more sign. It is the yeast of the Pharisees who want signs to justify their own position while lacking in compassion for those who are around them. What is remarkable about this text is that it shows so clearly the blindness and deafness not just of the Pharisees, but of Jesus' own disciples. They see but do not understand. They hear but do not get it. And it is not until they see Jesus crucified, dead, and buried, and then risen from the dead on the third day do they begin to get it. We will not have faith to believe until Jesus opens our eyes. Do we have faith? Faith to believe that God could feed the multitudes through us? Not because, like Herod, we have amassed so much bread. Not like the Pharisees, so that we can prove to people how godly we are. But because we have the eyes of Jesus to see the compassion with compassion, those who are hungry. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. And we are tempted to believe that we can't. It's too, too hard. I'm too tired. And Jesus would say to us, do you still not understand? We are tempted to amass our own power. Tempted to long for powerful, dramatic signs that will enable us to avoid the cross, avoid weakness, avoid faith in Jesus. Do you still not understand? It's not what we have. It's not what we've amassed. It's who we are with. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we hear your concern for your disciples and we know that you must be concerned about us as well. As much as we can laugh at the hard-headedness, the thick-headedness of your disciples, Lord, it doesn't take long for us to realize that we're no different. And Lord, as we think about the yeast that comes in, little beliefs, little doubts, little temptations that quickly infect the whole loaf. We can see that in ourselves. 
in each one of us and us in our life together. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would indeed open our eyes to see clearly who you are, see clearly the way in which our unbelief takes over, and that we might trust you, the God who is with us, the God who can do mighty things in us and through us. And we pray that that might happen, that we might see the multitudes fed with what little we have through what Jesus does. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to this table, the table reminds us, do this remembering me. Remember. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. You come to this table. If you come this morning guilty, that same sin that clings so closely, again, is there any way Jesus could forgive me again? Do this remembering me. There's more than enough grace in our Lord Jesus to satisfy whatever hunger, lack there is in you. He did it before. He does it again this morning. He comes offering that forgiveness and grace and mercy that we might be with him now and always. Remember, because on the night when he was betrayed, our Savior took bread and when he given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this remembering me. And the same way, he also took the cup, saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood, blood which was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it, remembering me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for this gift of this bread, this cup. Again, for this tangible reminder that we can take into our bodies of your grace and mercy, that you feed us more than enough, more than we, than we know you feed us. And so we pray that you would take this bread, take this cup, set it apart from a common to a holy purpose, and may it be in our, in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls, that conviction, that confidence, that we belong to you, that you desire us to be with you, that we might be your disciples. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite the servers to come forward. We will do this this morning by intention. You'll be invited to come forward to, uh, with your masks on, receive the bread, take it, dip it in the cup, slip it under your mask and partake that way. If you are uncomfortable with receiving that way, you can receive communion in your seats. There will be celebration cups and the ushers will have those. Just ask them for that.
You're with Becky. Beloved, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come.